Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to Blockcast and I'm your host, Sam Bale. We're already at episode five of Blockcast, which is kind of crazy. Thanks everyone so far who has listened and subscribed and contributed uh, readings and blog posts. Today's post is titled The Ghosts in the Data by Vicky Boykis. The post was first published in March 2021 and it's yet another data-centered post on Blogcast just because I like data things. I'm also really excited to feature another guest reader today. Divyanj Saini, another fellow data person, kindly offered to record this blog post. As usual, subscribe to Blogcast for new episodes every Sunday and follow us on Twitter at BlogcastPod. And now, enjoy the episode. Hi, I am Divyan Sani, and today I'm going to be reading out the blog post titled The Ghosts in the Data by Vicky Boykis. Something I've been thinking about recently as I've been working at a company that operates entirely remotely and mostly asynchronously during a time when most companies are working in some variation of this model is the idea of implicit versus explicit knowledge. Explicit knowledge is anything that you can read about, knowledge that's easy to share and pass on. Implicit knowledge is knowledge that people gain by context that's very hard to pull out consciously. The best example of this is from this paper on language acquisition. Children acquire their first language by engaging with their caretakers in natural meaningful communication. From this evidence, they automatically acquire complex knowledge of the structure of their language. Yet paradoxically, they cannot describe this knowledge, the discovery of which forms the object of the disciplines of theoretical linguistics, psycholinguistics, and child language acquisition. This is a difference between explicit and implicit knowledge. Ask a young child how to form a plural and she says she doesn't know. Ask her, here is a verb, here is another verb, what have you got? And she's able to reply, two verbs. The acquisition of L1 grammar is implicit and is extracted from the experience of usage rather than from explicit rules. Some time ago, Caitlin tweeted, the summation of my decade of data work is that the data matters more than the model, every time. I've tweeted similar observations a while back. The difference between data science and ML engineering is that you go from spending 80% of your time cleaning data to spending 80% of your time cleaning Docker files. The basic block of labor of machine learning is cleaning data and setting up engineering pipelines, the detailed and tedious work of making all the pieces fit together. However, there is no way you can learn this except to have to deal with a lot of data that's not clean and to build a lot of models. So this very fundamental fact is not immediately obvious to people new to the field until they've gained that experience. And what's worse is that there's no guide, pamphlet, textbook or course that will give you the piece of implicit knowledge. Implicit knowledge is what David has called brilliantly ghost knowledge or knowledge that exists within expert communities but is never written down and basically doesn't exist for you unless you have access to those communities. Here is his full post on why it happens. 
The core problem that causes all of this is that there's a leaky pipeline of knowledge from epistemic communities to the outside world. In order for you to discover a piece of knowledge, it has to be interesting enough for someone to think it is worth writing down. It has to be interesting enough that it gets accepted, though if not, it may end up on a random blog post if you're lucky. It has to be interesting or well-organized enough that it gets surfaced in a way you can find. It has to be accessible enough for you to be able to find it. Example, it can't use super technical terms that you will have no way to ever discover without access to an expert. Having clean data is in the category of ghost knowledge, that if you have been working in data for a long time, you know painfully from your own experience. It's only extremely recently that this knowledge started being written down in a codified way. And by recently, I mean that there was a paper published by Google in January of 2021. Here's the first part of the abstract. AI models are increasingly applied in high stakes domains like health, and conservation. Data quality carries an elevated significance and high-stakes AI due to its heightened downstream impact, impacting predictions like cancer detection, wildlife poaching, and loan allocations. Paradoxically, data is the most undervalued and glamorized aspect of AI. This is probably the first time I have personally seen something formally stated about the need for having clean data as impacting model performance. Mulling over this fact, I wondered what else was ghost knowledge in the data community. And so I asked, what is something that you know to important and true about data work? Could be data science, data engineering, ML engineering, statistics, etc. that you've never seen written in a book, blog post, or covered in a course. In other words, you learned it only at work. What I found was a wealth of learnings that people wrote from painful personal experience. The replies generally fall into two categories, the ghost knowledge in dealing with data and the ghost knowledge in dealing with people. Inspired by the replies, I wanted to write about a few important implicit observations I made in my own data career. The power law. What they tell you in a statistics class is that you're assuming the population you're drawing from is normally distributed. In other words, your data follows a bell curve where most of the people fall somewhat close to the mean with a few outliers. There's a whole set of implications in assuming your data is distributed this way. That is, if you assume a normal model of society, you can do this kind of math on it to get the answers you need from data. Real life phenomena, as I've seen from them in industry, mostly do not follow a bell curve. Most of the data that people deal with across industries involves activities that people do. People on your platform, people clicking things, people receiving vaccines on medical treatments, restaurant visits, etc. And all of the data looks like this. This essentially means that a few people do some activity a lot and the rest not as much at all. Here are some real world examples. The ratio between population and wealth, portfolio growth, Twitter engagement and COVID spread and much, much more. This means that we can't deal with the data in the same way, particularly for smaller samples of data because Gaussian and Parisian distributions differ radically. The main feature of the Gaussian distribution can be entirely characterized by its mean and variance. A Parisian distribution does not show a well-behaved mean or variance. 
A power law, therefore, has no average that can be assumed to represent the typical features of the distribution and no finite standard deviations upon which to base confidence intervals. There are both statistical and business implications for how you deal with this rule. In particular, it means that paying attention to tail-end phenomena is just as important as understanding an average user. And once you see this pattern in your data, you will never be able to unsee it. Collecting data. How do you actually get this data that you're looking to analyze? Most of the time, it is very, very hard and encompasses most of the work of any given data project. First, you have to build a pipeline to collect the data. Then you have to clean the data. What makes it harder is that dealing with data is like dealing with a moving river. Perhaps that's the reason we have developed so many water terms around our data processes, data lakes, streams, and putting all of it in the cloud. Data is ephemeral and constantly shifting as users input data, engineers log different things, and you gain or lose access to storage. You don't do the process of verifying the data once, you do it many times because a lot of times some process upstream will change. As long as you don't control the upstream process, you don't control your data. What's even more amazing is that there is no standard process in the tech industry to clean data. The problem is so pervasive that there are now hundreds of SaaS solutions. There's no book on how to clean data, what kind of constraints to set to make sure the data is clean, or even what kind of tools to use. It could be as simple as a bash script that you run that removes duplicate lines, or it could be an airflow pipeline that checks the validity of tables in Redshift on a daily basis. Or it could be a number of one-liners in pandas, or it could be enforcing specific data constraints at the point where your data is actually generated. The best way to understand the true scope of what it takes to clean data and keep it clean is to understand how different companies do it. A couple subsets of data is a hard problem. Dealing with dates is going to bite you at some point. Randy had a really good post about this a while back. And here's another excellent post about it. No one ever gets time right all the time. And the first time you get it wrong, you will never forget it. As happened to me when I was presenting an analysis to executives and realized that I'd forgotten to convert the time to UTC. Data work is programming work. I have been talking about this for a while, but the longer we are into this thing called machine learning, and we are just in the steam powered days still, the further we get away from working with small data sets and more with large, complicated, often cloud-based distributed systems, the more we will all have to become developers and adapt development-based practices. What are the best practices of data development today? Good work that is easily named and easily reproducible. Notebooks were applicable, written, tested modules the rest of the way. Version control for code and documentation. The thing we have to keep in mind though is that the needs of programming and data work are fundamentally different. As I said, the friction between analytics work and engineering work always will be that engineering sees data as an insignificant byproduct of writing code and analytics sees writing code as an irritating hassle to get to the data. Developers writing apps need them to be stable and traceable. Analysts looking at the data need it to be clean. It's in the incentive for the developer to have fast working reliable apps at the expense of accurate data. For example, adding clear detailed activity logging is important but often an afterthought.
And it's the incentive for analysts to have good data, even if that means pausing some process to fix it. This means that there will always be a conflict between moving quickly to ship features on a given application and logging those features and making sense of them. It's up to the data professional to navigate that chasm and make sense of it. Working with people is hardest of all. Software engineering is really, really hard. There's a lot of thinking involved, a lot of moving parts. You have to understand how complex systems work, reason through the statistics, and keep up with the latest frameworks in the field. And yet, dealing with people is even harder, and often the heart of either success or failure for machine learning products. The one thing that is never covered in any class is that you will have to deal with workplace politics and how successful you are at navigating this hierarchy will determine how you're perceived at work just as much as the actual quality of your work. Workplace politics exist at every workplace regardless of size or shape or industry and are simply a manifestation of the natural inner workings of human relationships carried out in a structure where hierarchy is enforced by who you report to and who pays you. And there is hierarchy in every company from a tiny two-people startup to companies that practice holacracy to large conglomerates whose motto used to be don't be evil. The best resources that I know for learning how to navigate these structures are by talking to co-workers and observing people who are good at corporate politics. But more importantly, becoming good at navigating human relationships on a day-to-day basis. What do those who you look up to in the company do? What kind of things do they say? How do they help people? Some good secondary resources are reading anonymous forums like Reddit's CompSci Career Questions, r slash sysadmin, r slash data science sometimes, ask a manager are also all solid ways to learn about corporate politics. And here are some good general posts. Rance has a fantastic collection of articles which have been since turned into books about how people in organizations work. Here's an example. Lara has some good posts about how to understand your manager's perspective and work well with them. If you can work well with your manager and understand how to make them successful, you can achieve almost anything. My favorite recent post is the one by Julia, things your manager may not know. And finally, there is Venkatesh's excellent but cynical post from over 10 years ago on corporate power structures. People usually do not operate based on the data. The final thing I've learned is that companies operate mostly on gut instinct. Many will tell you that they're data-driven. People love this idea of making decisions based on the numbers and want to believe it about themselves. I want to believe this about myself. But oftentimes, data will serve mostly as supporting evidence for a gut check, and the gut check depends on a lot of factors, including whether you trust the person presenting the data, what your view of the company is, and what corporate politics are at play. This is not to end on a discouraging note. It doesn't mean that you can just make up numbers and expect to get somewhere. What it means is that it's important to establish yourself as a knowledgeable, trustworthy, and able to clearly communicate what you're talking about, regardless of what job you are in, because the discussion around the data will be just as important as the data itself. Or rather, a more optimistic way to think about this is that the analysis or dashboard is, and should be, 
the beginning and framing of a conversation, not the end of it. And if you frame it correctly, it's yours to lead. This was The Ghosts in the Data by Vicky Boykis, read to you by Divyansh Saini. If you'd like to read more of Vicky's blog posts, you can head over to vkb.github.io, which is V-E-E-K-A-Y-B-E-E. This was The Ghosts in the Data by Vicky Boykis, read by Divyan Saini. I've also linked to the blog post in the show notes, so definitely check out the original post for the links that were mentioned um, in the recording. Thanks, Vicky, for the awesome post, and thanks to Divyan for recording this episode. I really appreciate it. And this concludes today's episode of Blogcast. Just another reminder subscribe to the podcast for new episodes and follow us on Twitter at BlogcastPod. We'd love to hear about your favorite blog posts to be featured on this podcast. And if you're interested in reading, then please shoot me a note. Hear you later.